It wasn't always perfect in Eugene on Saturday, but at the end of the day, Oregon football fans got something they seldom received in 2021. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks, which is why, if you haven't already, please like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody out there who has done so already and all of you who plan to do so in the future. Maybe you're doing it right now. And if you are, I very much appreciate you. I also appreciate LinkedIn Jobs, the official college football recruiting sponsor here at the Lockdown College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college terms and conditions apply. We didn't have a lot of blowouts in 2021. It was a lot of sweating, a lot of sweating games that Oregon probably shouldn't have sweated. And this was not a, a perfect blowout per se. The latter portion of this show, we'll, we'll talk about the things that stood out as a concern. We're going to get through individual standouts, but can we all just appreciate that this game was 31 to 3 at the half. And that's a nice thing to have because that's the way the game should have looked. Was it perfect at the start? No. But here's another thing to consider. You're never going to play a perfect football game. You just aren't. Chips teams didn't, Helfrich's teams didn't, Cristobal's teams didn't, Taggart's teams didn't. Even when you win, you're not always going to play a perfect football game. The important thing though, is to win, number one, and number two, recognize that Oregon is at a state in this program where we're not playing perfect football from the start, first quarter to the last, everything was tip-top, I's dotted, T's crossed, everything was great, and yet they're up 28 points at the half in a conference game. Now, Stanford, as I told you going into last week, they're not very good. That, that is just, they are a shell of themselves, they are not physical, they can't play defense. They can't stop guys through the air, stop teams through the air. Oregon was dominant on this game in this game on the ground. I mean, they, they just don't look like the Stanford teams of old. And I don't think David Shaw has a full grasp on what he needs to do to get that program headed back in the right direction. I thought he'd be able to this year. They had some nice returning pieces, including their quarterback. But their offensive and defensive lines, and their offensive line was beat up in this game. That certainly did not help, and Oregon took advantage in in a major way. But, man, that was just not – it's just hard to believe that that was Stanford. It didn't look like Stanford. It looked like the Washington State teams of old, or it looked like the Colorado team of now. <laughs> it's just not, not what we're accustomed to, but – with all that being said, how do you want Oregon to look against a team like that? You want to win a conference championship? You can't have to grind it out every single week against teams who you're better than. You should look like the better team. And Oregon didn't execute perfectly in the early portion of this game, but they looked like the better team. And I was on a plane for most of this, one that does not have any ability to connect to the internet, which means it was a lot older than I wish it was. So I only got to watch until about five minutes left in the first quarter. And I watched it thinking, yeah, they're going to move the ball. 
going to come down to red zone execution again. But also, I watched Stanford, and I thought, we seem to have this long mesh figured out. Everybody else kind of does too, because Stanford's offense has not been very productive this season. But I wasn't worried about Stanford stringing together long drives and you know, I was worried about them using a lot of clock because they did that in the first quarter. But my goodness, the defense looked good from the start, and they looked good all night long. Does mean not every play is going to be perfect, right? If you hear me say that and you go, well, what about the Casey Filkins touchdown? Other teams are trying to score too. <laughs> They've got athletes who can make plays. That was a really good defensive performance. I think it's comparable to what Oregon did against BYU. The Cougars had a touchdown and a missed field goal because they're a better team than Stanford. But that's how I want that defense to look, especially at home, especially at home. I thought they played really, really well. But let's get to the individual standouts because there were a lot of them in this game. And the first one is Bucky Irving, who had 90 yards, I think like midway through the second quarter. He finished only with 97. That's a game flow and a rotating body sort of thing. And, And don't ask me a question about, Byron Cardwell, because I keep hearing mixed reports about whether or not he's healthy completely or not. Here's what I do know. Oregon can run the football when they want to. And if you don't have the bodies up front to push Oregon's offensive line around, or at least make it tough on them, and if you don't have the schemes and the players in the secondary to come down and make plays and be in position to make plays, the Ducks are going to run the football against you in an explosive way. And that's what they did. And Bucky Irving is that dude. Bucky Irving is so far and away better than the other running backs, but I don't want to see him get more carries than what he's doing right now. I love the rotation. Every running back is different. They're all productive. The offensive line is great. And Bucky Irving, to me, is clearly the best of them. But I don't want him to wear down as the season goes on. I want to get this Bucky Irving week in and week out. I don't want to see him get 20 to 30 carries a game, and then by the end of the year, he doesn't quite have that make-you-miss ability, or he's a little bit you know, banged up, or he's got an injury here, injury there. I don't know if he'd get that anyway because he's so hard to tackle, but I love what this offensive staff is doing with the running game. I, I really, really do. I think they call it at the right moments. I loved that they were running something that I think we first saw I think it was with Chip with Masoli used to do this. You pull two guys into the hole, and that's a quarterback keep option, but then the running back goes wide. You can get big explosive plays there, and we did that a number of times, and Bonix was involved in the running game, and Bucky Irving was good, and Whittington looked good, and Dollars made some really good plays. Jordan James had another short yardage touchdown. I, I love what I'm seeing there, but, man, Bucky Irving is just this beautiful, wonderful blend of C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye. He's got Dye's make you miss, but Verdell's physicality, his balance is immaculate. His his vision is great. His sense of where to move and when while he's in the hole trying to break tackles is just tremendous. And he is just a hard guy to tackle. He's low man to the ground. And I watch him jump cut around and accelerate, but also be willing to run guys over. And I say, that is a really well-balanced back and he's not the biggest guy in the world but to me it reminds me a little of Royce Freeman he he reminds me of a smaller Royce Freeman because he has that power but when you watch Royce run it wasn't eye-popping agility it wasn't eye-popping speed and yet 
How many times did Freeman make a guy miss in the hole with a little stutter step or a jump cut? And then he's breaking the run for an extra 10, 15 yards sometimes, but at minimum an extra five to six. I just love what Oregon's doing in the running game here. They're multiple. They're versatile. They're smart. The offensive line is exactly what we thought it would be. Maybe even better. Bo Nix was technically sacked. If you're listening on podcast, I did air quotes there because, okay. But uh, for the first time this year, that continues to be a strength. Bo Nix ran the ball really well. I will get to more on Bo Nix after I remind you that with hiring season coming around, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business these days. You want to be 100% certain, not 90% certain, 100% certain that you have the access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Go to LinkedIn, post your job, add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring, and then let LinkedIn Jobs help you find the right people. They are number one for small businesses in delivering quality hires against leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college. Post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Bo Nix was really involved in the running game. And there were a couple times where he used his legs on design scrambles and that 80-yard touchdown run. That's what I'm talking about with Stanford. They just didn't have the athletes. He ran down the field and no one could catch him. They just were not fast enough. And Bo Nix, I think it, it was easy to forget because he hasn't had to use it a lot, his running ability, that is, through the first four games coming into this one. And I think that's a good thing. But I still like that there's the potential here. Do I want to see him be like this every week? No. I want the passing game to look more like it did against Washington State and BYU. But every now and then, is it nice to know that you have a quarterback who has got elite high-end speed, knows how to run, knows how to avoid taking hits as well? Yeah, I do. And did you know, by the way, he's the first Oregon football player in 2022 to be over 100 rushing yards in a game? Fun fact, he was Oregon's leading rusher. Bucky Irving was the, the best running back, of course. But Bo Nix showed h- how explosive he can be on the ground and that he has not lost that component of his game. But what I like about not having seen it until week five at that level or with that sort of frequency is that he doesn't need to do it. And sometimes when you watch him at Auburn, he felt like he needed to do it all the time. And now what we're seeing is Bo Nix is taking what the defense is giving him. He's not forcing the issue. How many throws have you seen this year after the Georgia game and said, oh, Bo really forced that throw? What is it, like two, three? I don't even know if the number's that high. His decision-making right now, both where to go with the football, when to get it out, where's hot reads are against the pressure, when to take off and run, have been just phenomenal for the last few weeks. And it's a big reason why Oregon's offense is having a lot of success and why they're putting up 40 points a game in conference play. I I mean, since the Georgia game, the offense has been off and running. Got a nice little tune-up with Eastern Washington. Put up 41 against BYU. Ended with 44 at Washington State. And now 45 against Stanford. That's a lot of points. And they're explosive. And they're fast. And they're creative. And they're multiple. I I love what I'm seeing from the offense. And you got to start with the quarterback. It always does. That's a theme in this game we love called football. 
What do you have at the quarterback position? Well, Oregon's got a guy who's a great athlete, but doesn't look like he's as inclined to run unless he needs to as he was at his previous stop. And he's thrown the ball around. And Troy Franklin is one of the best receivers I've seen put on the Oregon uniform colors uh, in, in my lifetime. He's definitely in the top five. Now, granted, I'm not very old. I'm sure some of you older fans out there, and I appreciate every single one of you, whether you're six years old or 66 years old, I don't care. Oh, excuse me. I need to get a little bit of water after that. Oof. One moment. Other show hosts would go back and edit that out, but I'm not that good of an editor. And, you know, we'll do it live. Bill O'Reilly style, right? So I I think his decision-making has been really, really good. And he's just, he's running this offense in a way that has to make Kenny Dillingham smile because I don't know how much of the outside noise or potential criticism that Kenny Dillingham knew about or heard when, when the Bonix transfer was announced, but there were a lot of Oregon fans out there who had questions. It's really hard to question Bonix right now. What is he not doing well? He didn't even have his best game throwing, but he didn't need to. And that's another great thing for Oregon in this game. They didn't play their best game execution wise. That'll come to to wrap up the show today. Bonix didn't have his best game through the air, and they're up thirty-one to three at the half against a conference opponent. Yep, uh, a bad one in Stanford. But that's a lot of things that are not going your way for you to have that sort of result. You looked the way on the scoreboard you were supposed to without playing your A-plus game. That's a great thing for this program right now. That's a really, really good sign. And Bo Nix is doing a lot of just outstanding things. And no, it wasn't his best game through the air. I thought he missed a couple of deep shots that he's hit in in the last few weeks. I don't expect him to keep missing those. I like that he's continuing to take them, but he still made a couple of really good throws. His legs were effective and the offense, you know, threw when they needed to, but they didn't have to a lot because there were a lot of running lanes uh, in this game. Other individual standouts, Brandon Dorless. Man, am I glad that that guy came back. I was worried coming into this year about the pass rush. If you've listened to me for a while, you know that that's the case. And it still can be a potential problem. Brandon Dorless is turning into not a Kayvon Thibodeau level game wrecker, but he is becoming the sort of player. I think he's getting better week by week where defenses are now going to have to understand on most plays, where's number three? Because he is disposing of these Pac-12 offensive linemen like they're like they're tackling dummies. He he is in the backfield so often. And if you don't double team him, it's a really tough assignment. Stanford and Washington State don't have the best offensive lines that Oregon will see this year, but BYU's was pretty good, and he was great in that game too. He has been what Oregon has needed, and that is an anchor on the defensive line, especially. After it was announced that Popo's down for the year and other guys, my boy Casey Rogers continues to step up, but Dorless is leading the charge. And I think other guys are benefiting from the attention he is starting to get. And if offensive coordinators don't know about the challenge he presents for them, they're going to learn pretty quickly in any given game. And the pass rush in this game was tremendous. Multiple sacks again. Stanford's offensive line was a little depleted. So that was expected. But again, That's how you want them to look, right? 
you want to see those guys able to get pressure. DJ Johnson, there was a situation in the second half where, you know, after he was back uh, sitting out the first because of that bogus targeting call, he was left one-on-one with a tight end. That's a Stanford tight end. You, they, they recruit that position very well. They still have, even as their their program has struggled. He goes out there to block DJ Johnson, not even close. Just not competitive. That's the DJ Johnson we saw in the spring game. And we're starting to see that more and more. And those two guys, if they play at this level, this defense can be good week in and week out. And those are guys they need to play at that high level because you don't have Kayvon Thibodeau though there anymore to get after the passer. How about another defensive standout? Bennett Williams. That guy was everywhere. That guy was everywhere. I love talking about recruiting. I love when Oregon gets big-time recruits because more often than not, they turn into big-time players. The notable exception here in the last few years has been Dante Manning, who is still not seeing the field a lot in favor of Triquez Bridges. So I love when Oregon gets those sorts of guys, right? Because a Troy Franklin is more likely to turn into a really good player than, uh, you know, some run-of-the-mill three-star receiver, right? Because he has the physical traits and you want to see that potential realized, and Troy Franklin is doing that. But every now and then, isn't it nice to see a guy who started his career playing junior college football? Ben and Williams had to go to junior college. Tell me, when you watch Oregon play defense, does that look like a guy who belongs anywhere but the Power 5 level? The answer is no. He had an outstanding game. couple pass breakups. He's making tackles. He's probably the most sure tackler on the team. He's, he's probably the most sure tackler on the team. Speaking of which, at the linebacker position, not the best games I saw from Jeffrey Bossa and Noah Sewell. They, did, they had some good moments, but they missed some plays that they need to make going forward. But Bennett Williams, I tell you what, man, get that guy on the field. That's just a football player. That guy's just out there making plays. Whatever is asked of him, cover a tight end, a running back, tackle in space, seal the edge on a jet sweep or, or an orbit motion swing pass, something like that. Whatever is asked of him, he is doing it time and time again. And remember, he got hurt. He made a couple plays last year and got hurt. I think that was a bigger loss for the defense than we realized at the time because he's an impact player out there, and I love watching him tackle. Oh, my gosh. It's like watching a robot, but in the best sense. He is so form-centric, and he just puts his head right next to the ball or on the ball, wraps up, and the guy's going on the ground. Doesn't matter who it is. Tight end, receiver, running back, he can tackle anybody and everybody. He's making tackles. He's playing well in coverage. He, he is. There's a reason he's on the field a lot. He should continue to be on the field a lot because, man, that guy's making plays. Here's another individual standout, and this isn't a player. Kenny Dillingham. What did I talk about after the Arizona, or not the Arizona State game, the Washington State game, with regards to his red zone play calling? I didn't love all of it. I didn't hate all of it, but I didn't love all of it. And I saw these running plays where you're trying to pull two guys into the hole and it's a slow developing play. And I didn't think that worked as well in the red zone. Well, what do you know? I think Kenny Dillingham might watch the show. And if he does, what's up, coach? Great to have you here at Locked on Ducks. Because that seems, to, for the most part, to have stopped. And Oregon was not overcomplicating it. The, the gripes that we had a season ago about the lack of explosive plays, perfectly valid. 
One thing that we forgot is that Oregon was often good in the red zone and on third down because they would often line up and be pretty simple and say, here comes a dive. I dare you to try and stop it with that offensive line and one of Ferguson, Matavau, or Herbert leading the way blocking as the tight end or the H-back. I, I dare you to try and stop it. And I think that's an adjustment. Again, first-time, full-time play caller. Got to allow for a little bit of leeway there. I thought the red zone play calling was much improved. The execution was not. <laughs> execution was certainly not. But the play calling is just a little bit more simplified. I like calling. I, I like the usage of screens after Washington State hit us with that. You know what a smart offensive coordinator does? He says, man, they ran that, and they were really effective. That's a tough thing to stop. Why don't we go put that in? Tunnel screen for a touchdown to Chase Coda. I like that in offense coordinator. I think he's doing a good job. I think he's continuing to get better. The execution's got to be better. Got to clean up the penalties. But I like that we're not trying to pull three guys here or, uh, you know, I, I will say I didn't necessarily love the RPO call to Hudson, though if he stayed behind the line of scrimmage, it wouldn't have mattered that we were downfield illegally. But I thought, again, that was kind of overthinking the room. And then as the game went on, after that didn't work, we just lined up and ran the ball. And said, here, go ahead, try and stop us. And Stanford could not. This episode brought to you by Bet Online, your number one source for your football betting info this season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, Bet Online remains your continued source for all your sport wagering information with live betting and up to the minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including Major League Baseball. Go Mariners, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to betonline.net or use their mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. And let me tell you something. If there's one team that you want to bet on in the playoffs, it better be my Seattle Mariners, who gave me one of the singular greatest nights of my life as a sports fan because I'd waited 19 years. I've watched every season since I was about six years old. I don't remember anything before that. The city of Seattle waited 21. I'd waited my whole life, 19 years, to see them get to the playoffs. And now you can go to bet online and bet them in the playoffs. That is probably my favorite thing I've ever gotten to say here on the show. Go Mariners. Go check out bet online today. Okay. Where does Oregon need to get better? This was not a perfect game. If you watch Dan Lanning's post-game press conference, it didn't have the tone or tenor of a coach whose team was up 28 points at the half. And that's because Dan Lanning, I think, is putting into practice what he has talked about all season long. He gave a bamboo analogy at Pac-12 Media Days. He's talked consistently about a growth mindset. And that's what he's now putting into practice. At least that's what he's saying. And I think, and I hope, that's what's playing out at practice as well. Because Oregon still has to get better. The red zone improved as the game went on. And Dillingham simplified a little bit. And he recognized he just had the better team and didn't need a fancy, tricky play call. He could just line up and say, see if you can stop us. And they could not. But... The execution early in that game, flashbacks to to Washington State, wasn't it? 
You get down there, false start. You get down there, ineligible receiver down the field. You get down there, a hold. I didn't think it was actually a hold on Marcus Harper, by the way, who didn't have his best game, but improved as uh, as the game progressed. But a couple early penalties that were costly. But the false starts down in the red zone. That's That's got to be like the number one thing Oregon cleans up this week. We're going on the road down to the desert. Crazy things happen in the desert. Tucson is going to be rocking as much as they can. They're three and two. They're feeling good. And they've seen Oregon lose down there before as a favored team. It's happened many times. But most importantly, as the season goes on, you got UCLA, you got Utah, you got Oregon State on the schedule. You got Washington coming. Thankfully, three of those games are at home. But you've got to be able to execute in those moments. I don't expect you to play a perfect game against a good team in order to get a win. But I do expect you to do the simple things and going down into the red zone and moving the ball with relative ease and then not false starting is one of the simple things you've got to be able to do. It has to be better. And it wasn't in this game. And Oregon was still able to win big. Great place for the program to be. What was that? A B, probably B plus game. That was probably a B game from Oregon and they blew out a conference opponent in Stanford that is, you know, down right now, no doubt. But a lot of other teams in this conference or other conferences, they play their B game against an inferior opponent, and they're trying to hold off an upset. But this team is explosive. The defense was dominant again. Christian Gonzalez is the man. Secondary overall played well. Defensive line, they wrecked. They were game wreckers. All of them. Rodgers was in there. Didn't go down as a sack because McKee got, got beyond the line of scrimmage. Brandon Dorless was in there. I don't know, a dozen times. DJ Johnson came back in the second half. He was a force. Taimani and Jordan Ryler doing nice things. A lot of good stuff on that defense right now. Even though there was no Justin Flo, that seems to be a mystery wrapped in enigma. Not sure what to make of it there. He was listed as a starter but was not available. I don't know. But what I do know is Oregon's deep. I saw Keith Brown get in there and play well. I saw Jeffrey Boston make some plays, even though he, he missed a couple. I see a lot of potential on that defense. And when they get out of their own way, the penalties most come on offense, not not quite as much on, on the defensive side of the ball. We saw a couple sloppy ones up in Pullman, but I, I thought that got at least a, a little bit better in this game. But overall, and this goes back to what I've now said three times on the show, because it's worth repeating. Oregon didn't play its best game, still won by a lot. That's a good place to be overall at this point in the season. They had 135 penalty yards. They had 135 penalty yards. Bonex only threw for like 160. So for every yard that Bonex picked up through the air with his receivers, guys like Troy Franklin, who's just such a stud, Chris Hudson's coming alive. Love to see it. Really good player. They had almost one penalty yard. I mean, it was ridiculous. That's got to be cleaned up. You, you can't go down in the red zone when Utah or Washington or UCLA is at Autzen Stadium. Did you see the Bruins over, over the weekend on Friday night? I know it was Pac-12 after dark, or as I call it, Pac-12 after bed for most people in the country. But did you watch that game? Boy, Chip had them dudes rolling against a Huskies team that was feeling really good and is still in the top 25 and should be. But you can't go against good teams like that 
get into the red zone and not execute. You you can't you can't give that many gifts to a good team. You can afford to do it against Stanford. You can't against Utah. To ask yourself right now, 135 penalty yards against Utah. How much are we losing that game by? 14, 17? God forbid, 31. You, you, that that has to be cleaned up. And these little moments of execution, I'm I'm going to give the staff leeway and say, I don't expect it to be fixed all in one week, but you got to show some progress. You, you, you got to show some progress. Can we have one game where we're 30 penalty yards or fewer? That would be really, really nice. That'd be a nice, clean game. I hope we see that at some point this year. Lastly, I'm going to close with this. Ty Thompson continues to get reps. And I don't think anyone's got questions now about why Bo Nix is a starter. Because every time Bo's in the game, the offense moves the ball. And every time Ty's in the game, the offense does not move the ball. And the interception, I know some people look and say it's not his fault. It was his fault. It was properly blocked by Dawson Jeremillo because Bailey, I'm pretty sure, is a defensive end. David Bailey, their, their prize recruit in the class of 2022, who's a good player, goes for a speed rush around the edge. Jeremillo pushes him back. Thompson's got to step up in the pocket, but he stood there like a statue and allowed his arm to get hit. And he's not making accurate throws. I'm not saying he can't develop into a starting quarterback. I see the arm talent too, but he is not close. He, he is not close. BYU, and now here again against Stanford. The offense doesn't move the ball when he's in there, and I think there's a reason, and that's okay. I'm, I'm not saying the kid is not going or is not capable of one day being a starting quarterback, but I've not been encouraged by what I've seen so far, and this is Bo Nix's team, and my goodness it should be because he didn't have his best game, but he still found ways to make this Oregon offense work, and they put up 45 points. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, go Ducks.